0: You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel.
1: Coming up this week in episode 599, there's always something new about the Beatles. Audiences becoming exercises in riot control and the best television episodes of all time. That's all coming up right after Eddie Reader and Patience of Angels. So talk- She is touring all around Ireland and the u k later this year, and tickets are priced very favorably um one of the most beautiful voices here with a lovely Lou song from mm. 1994, number 33 in the UK. Eddie Reader and Patience of Angels.
2: What a voice! Just what a presence as well. She did an Edith Piaf number for a Jules Holland hootenanny one year, and uh, I remember us watching it, and it was just, it was just jaw dropping. It was so good. It was she just completely stopped the show. It was marvelous.
1: Welcome to Parish Council episode 599. I'm Terence Stackham, and New York, London, Munich, Paris. Everybody talk about Juliet Harris.
2: Oh, that is a cracker, Sir T. I like what <laughs> you've done there. But amongst your finest works, some would say. I wouldn't say the same thing about myself. But anyway, hello, everyone.
1: Just when you think there's nothing new to be seen or heard of the Beatles, mm. here we go. Some bloke, John Bloomfield, (laughs) suddenly realises 60 years on that he taped at the front of the stage the Beatles performing at Stowe School in a concert in 1963. Now, it's hats off to the Beatles for honouring this gig because it had been booked some some while back um, (laughs) before. But in the meantime, their fame was taking off. And, uh, for example, the Please Please Me album was in the top 10 in the UK. But on April the 4th, 1963, after a, a recording session at the BBC, the Beatles popped along to Stowe School. so
2: adorable. I love this, that they still went to play a, 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 a school. It's an amazing it's so thing.
1: They, they, they could easily have cancelled, but off they went to Stowe School in That's Buckinghamshire, so great. played 22 songs, <laughs> ate, ate chicken and chips with the staff,
2: Lovely. and
1: spent the night at the nearby Green Man Hotel. Excellent. Now, Jules, this lost tape from 1963, you've managed to have a listen to a sample of it is it the holy grail for Beatles fans?
2: I mean, the sound quality is shocking, even by my standards, so it's quite difficult to yes. sort of tell, but I just think it's great, like you and, and you know, our regular listeners know that you mm. and I are just Beatles obsessives and we will hoover up any content, and just when you think it's all it's all been had, you know, there is nothing yeah. else that exists, there is nothing new under the sun, I can't do that in Latin right now, but anyway, um, there is. it's just there, and what I, I was talking to someone the other day about this and saying that, you know, lots of this stuff that pops up that they've never you know that's lost for years boot sales settee this is the sort of thing that someone <laughs> yes. finds a cardboard yes. box full of old reel to reel tapes in their, in their loft or you know some old tape um, you know grandad left it behind should have chucked it out years ago someone takes it to a boot sale and I know people that sort of troll around boot fairs really? looking for old kind of you know old cine footage maybe old cans old film you know anything that no one has any idea about, oh, reel-to-reel tapes, because there is all this stuff out there. The BBC lost a load of stuff, didn't they? Not only did they tape over stuff, they also lost a load of stuff. Yes. Also, people used to tape things off the telly, didn't they? Um, You know, people used to record things off the radio. I love these kind of lost things that pop up, and of course, because I love the Beatles the most of all, I love this the most of all. I think it's so great. I love the fact that they piled through 22 numbers as well. They didn't half ass it, did they? They weren't, but they, they didn't, you know, pop in and do a, a PR sort of you know a a, a person a PA briefly and then go away again they did a proper gig they railed mm. through them by the look of it and it sounded despite the bad sound quality on the tape it sounded like they were really piling through it so, um, so I would love to hear a cleaned up version of the whole of the whole thing hooray for the Beatles for being decent people and for eating chicken and chips with the staff <laughs> as well I mean that is just great clearly fame had not really changed I'm not sure we could have an argument about whether or not fame ever really changed the Beatles but it certainly hadn't at that Point.
1: Not at that point. I mean, f- from the sample of the tape uh, of the state school performance, as you rightly say, the, the the quality level, it's very clear that someone, I don't know, Charles Martin or maybe or they'll have to spend an awful lot of yes. time and the very latest technology to make quite. something that is more than just novelty value. But it is quite amazing that they fitted this gig, gig yes. in at state school because Beatlemania, as I said, was just kicking off. Yeah. And April 63 was very, very busy for them. The next day, I after this, April the fifth, they were at EMI being presented with a, co- a gold disc for "Please Please Me." That's incredible. Four days later, Julian Lennon was born. Gosh. Um, John stayed in London, by the way. Yes. Um, mm. yeah. uh, uh-huh. And um, the following Tuesday, they played a one-hour live show in a cinema in West Hampstead. And a week later, they were playing at the Cavern in Liverpool. So in, in between all of that, there's an extraordinary affair at Stowe School. I must say, I don't know about you, at my school, we didn't ever have any superstar pop groups popping <laughs> to play. I mean, it was certainly have redeemed the drudgery of the Beatles, the Kinks or the Who had, had popped into play over an Absolutely. hour or two. Absolutely. Well, but,
2: we used to have a thing at our school, actually where occasionally people well, although this wasn't pop Terrence this was propaganda so we used to have I, this is genuinely true there yeah. used to be a road show that would visit local schools that had very I don't think any of these pop acts went on to, to perform anything right. there were people I can't even remember their name but they were they were the poor man's clock Sir Terrence that's how bad this was really <laughs> who covered Oh What A Night in a rap style in the early 90s these people People weren't right. even clock. I think. They were Mark E.T. and some blameless woman. And we spoke to them afterwards, and they signed pictures of themselves and were very pleasant. The name of the roadshow was Snap, Sir Terrence, and it stood for Say No and Phone because it was encouraging young people oh, not no. to take drugs. So oh, so life. the Snap Roadshow, they set up on our school field outside in the summer, and it was an open-air PA. I sense they weren't playing live, Sir T. But they were very pleasant people. But um, there was... a. a, a Talk at the time that someone was gonna set up a rival rave off school property called Say Yes and Phone Your Dealer. I don't know if that ever came <laughs> to pass or not. But yes, we did have propaganda wow. But sadly not the Beatles. Or perhaps as this was the early nineties. I mean this was this we could have had Paul McCartney touring flaming pie. That would have been great. But um yeah. sadly not. Sadly we just got um these poor blameless people. I wish I, I, I wonder what they're doing. I genuinely wish good things for them because they're very pleasant. But when you are doing a poor man's clock numbers, it's probably not going to end well, but yes, we were, we were attempted to be brainwashed um, by performances at our school.
1: Extraordinary. I imagine everyone who was a schoolboy at Stowe in 1963 has had a lifetime of Quite. anecdotes out of that position. Absolutely. Eight. Coming right up, the Vex business of audience behaviour. Okay, it yeah. takes another downturn. Oh no, just
2: when you think you've heard it all.
1: That's right after Magazine.
0: Swearing not okay.
2: I love the way that chugs along. It feels like you're sort of looking through a kaleidoscope with that chuggy sort of riff that just kind of unfolds itself. I really like magazine. Um, I think they they've just have done so many tunes. People remember them for things like a uh, shot by both sides. But I think that doesn't often get the praise it deserves. That's magazine and definitive gaze.
1: I wondered uh, when I saw you pick that. I thought whatever happened, whatever became of Howard Devoto? Mm. and um it, 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 Apparently he's in his seventies now. Of course he would be, and it, it seems he's simply retired, which is a perfectly reasonable I mean, state fair of enough. Affairs. That's like yeah.
2: like um, Harriet and David from the Sundays, who packed in in ninety yeah. seven, have been just raising their kids in North London, fair like enough. Mark is Hollis, just, who did exactly yeah. the same thing before he passed away. You know, yeah. it's uh, sometimes it's okay for people just to go, Do you know what? Don't fancy this anymore. I wonder if he gets much in the way of royalty checks. I'd be interested to know.
1: Wouldn't you think? Do you know? I wondered that as well, and I hate I hate to say it, but I doubt not because Hmm. um i mean it was shot by both sides but it wasn't even a major hit was it and he was in the buzzcocks for one ep and i think about 10 gigs so and it it was it wasn't you know that was a spiral scratch ep with the buzzcocks and you know that wasn't uh well it's it's, right
2: exactly well it's rather sad that probably people that had original copies of spiral scratch have probably made more money out of selling them than than howard devoto did recording it which is a, a poor state of affairs
1: some while ago, we talked about how people now behave when they go to public events. We talked about people mm. attending sports, um, events, the cinema, theater, music gigs. And I rambled on about the bizarre and selfish behavior of the two blokes in front of us at a Lindsay Buckingham gig at the mm. London Palladium, a few months ago. Who at were, the time- Who
2: were um, experiencing an alternative reality, by the sound c- of it.
1: They certainly were. They were in a different uh, time, space, continuum to the rest of us, definitely. Um, back then, I said, we, we decided to give up on in particular music gigs as well you see the other thing is as you probably know as even at seated events now everyone stands up or a large number of people stand up throughout the whole thing and at my mm. age I just don't want to do that um,
2: exactly there's a lovely bit in the Simpsons where a football <laughs> crowd gets up and Otto goes sit down sit down you're ruining it for everyone and uh, that was crazy to me when it regrettably I stood up at Wembley recently as <laughs> the goal went in for England versus Brazil but um but yeah I do I do agree it is a bit annoying because it ends up with this kind of you know, Mexican wave of everybody does, ends exactly. up standing. And that's not yes. a of the Three stadium. people
1: stand up, so the six people yeah. behind them who can't see stand up, so the eighteen people behind yeah. them and so on exactly. As as we discussed, general behaviour of people at gigs is, is often really bad, with mm. audience members conversing really loudly, scurrying about to get drinks yeah. and food, texting WhatsApping, And
2: uh, Well the the performance seems to be incidental, it, it's a sort secondary. of a background yeah. a background noise yeah. rather than something they've paid to see.
1: And apparently behaviour is continuing to head downwards because, Jules, you've been looking at a situation where last week the police were called to the Palace Theatre in Manchester to drag audience members out of a performance of The Bodyguard. But on the other hand, you're The Guardian, Jules, (laughs) says it's all snobbery from toffee-nosed people.
2: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there is a sort of a middle ground to be struck here. And you, you, you might remember Satya now, listeners, as well. Speaking, uh, it would have been a, a worrying amount of years ago now. It would have been about five years ago. I went with my mum to see Motown the Musical, the very oh, Gordy yes. production, when, yes. I to, uh, when I went to when I went the theatre in London. I think that was at the Palladium. I can't quite remember now. And there were quite snotty notes up um, <laughs> saying, you know, all you budding Diana Rosses and Marvin Gayes, can you not sing a Long, it ruins the performance, basically. Sure. And we said at the time, you know, we thought that was a that wasn't terribly well phrased. We thought that was that came across as mm. a little bit snotty. Having said that, like you so rightly say, this performance of the bodyguard, people do always take things to extremes. This is happening a lot. Um Beverly Knight was in the musical, I think it was called The Drifter's Girl, um, recently, and actually interrupted a performance to beg people to stop disrupting it. Yeah. Um it yeah. just seems to be getting worse and worse. This extraordinary footage of the police piling in as people (laughs) and there's a sort of there's a line isn't there there's one thing about sitting in your seat and maybe singing along quietly because some of the stuff like the motown stuff is a feel-good thing and sometimes as the guardian woman is trying to make a collective experience we go to these things for a shared experience having said that this is where musical theater-based musicals occupy a little bit of a liminal space city because they are it's not like you go to an open air gig in Hyde Park or even like a, you know, like a small gig and everyone's singing along, but the band's really loud and you hear the band and, you know, that's, that's, you know, that, that's one thing but you're you're in the theatre so ordinarily you know you wouldn't it, you know if you knew the lines of a play you wouldn't shout along
1: with Ham <laughs> it, wouldn't you probably <laughs>
2: having said that though is this I mean, a dagger
1: was, I see
2: <laughs> exactly yes drop the banger alas for Yurik <laughs> lights uh, lights cigarettes um, yeah so so a musical is, is kind of in a slightly more vexed space I suppose really in that you're in a theatre environment but you are you know you are having this music kind of blasted at you often by very talented performers and I think mm. it's worth mentioning mentioning at this point in time there are loads of people that perform in musicals in London loads of cast members that never particularly come famous even in theatre land there are loads of people that are just really really good who we saw in Motown I can't remember who any of them were but they were brilliant and they were so talented and we had a great time Um, but it seems like people always have to take things too far I suspect drink had been taken that's usually the answer to these things isn't it and or other substances and it's just really frustrating And I can see the collective experience point and I can see that musicals occupy a rather strange space when they are then they sort of are in theaters and that you're in a theater, but you're watching a sort of a musical thing. Having said that, you know, this behavior wasn't acceptable. Fights broke out. You know, it was it was pretty dramatic. So I feel I feel for the performers. It's a hard balance between creating atmosphere and then people's boorish behavior distracting from a performance.
1: By the way, in this one, I saw a video clip, an iPhone shot clip where what I, I believe that the, the police were dragging the woman out because um, the lead performer was singing the key song, I Will Always Love You. Yeah, it's such an overwrought ballad, isn't it? <laughs> there's
2: woman on the balcony going, and I
1: will always, <laughs> oh my God. Arifa Akbar is the Guardian's Chief Theatre Cricket. It was she yeah. who wrote this piece about rowdy behaviour in theatres being over-dramatised. And she said it's all about posh people worrying about the kind of people who eat popcorn whilst watching uh, uh, Wagner's Ring Cycle. But this, the, the staff at the Palace Theatre in Manchester, mm. who had to deal with the bodyguard incident, said they had to cope with, and I quote, unprecedented levels of violence. And then I also saw that um, recently... Looking at other examples of this, the comedian Tom Houghton um, reported that a couple were having, and I can only describe this as an intimate relationship during his gig. What? in Belfast last week. Goodness me. And That's a woman, not on, is it? Really? <laughs> it's not really on at all, though. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Children, look over there. No, um, no, no, don't look there. Look there. Um, look
2: somewhere else, yeah. Yes,
1: indeed. A woman who is uh, a front of house assistant at uh, a Northern Theatre said that myself and colleagues have been physically assaulted. She was talking about in the last year. Mm. Broken up fights stopped people urinating in their seats. What? being screamed at. And in her experience, she said... Um, and as we just said about The Bodyguard, large touring musicals are the most disruptive. So it's looking as if my exile from music gigs is going to have to be stretched to include theatre visits in case we get punched or urinated. Well, apart.
2: exactly. Musicals particularly, I think. You might be all right during, I don't know, The Caretaker or something, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure if musicals are the place for you or possibly me. I don't know. I suppose it depends when you go. The part of the problem is they've been colonised by hen and stag dudes, I think. Yeah, Having said that, I attended a stag do. A uh, uh, Hindu, rather sorry. It should have been would have been about fifteen years ago now, I think. We mm. went to London to see Chicago performed. I don't remember anybody here in <laughs> Thank God. I, Imagine.
1: Remember. I
2: remember a photo Ooh. in which I was photographed in the lift with lots of cheery women in pink, and I, I think I might have had a pink shirt on to sort of go along with it, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I remember I take a photo of us in the mirrored lift, and I look like the bloke from Gulliver's Travels because everyone else is about a foot smaller than me. I look ridiculous. That as my most memo treasured memory of that, oh, and that, the, what's his name from Emmerdale it was Billy Flynn, I think. But, um, yeah, we had a very nice time watching Chicago, and it would have been 2009, I think. Didn't yeah. feel the need to uh to punch no. the person next to me, even though I'm not a big fan of Hindus. I wished her well, I didn't want to do that. I, I used the toilet at half time, if I remember correctly. It was, it was a different world.
1: Imagine you're at the Royal Opera House in Roe G um enjoying the magic flute and you suddenly glance down and notice a sort of puddle forming around your feet <laughs> it's just not it's just it's not, not the thing not is nice, it
2: is it i mean oh, maybe she has a point about audiences i don't know but it is a little bit um oh i don't know it, i just uh, none of this please Satie.
1: George, just before our next track i do oh. need your help with something go on um I'm always here for you. Thank you. I need your advice on it. I quite like the Scottish indie rock band, The View. Yeah. And this week I heard their new single. And initially I thought, oh, that's really good. I think I'll put it forward to play on, yes. on Paris Council. But these days, because we, we um, are listed everywhere as family friendly, I tend to check the lyrics of anything we're going to play. Oh, and oh, Well, oh. no, when I read these lyrics, I, no, there's no F words or anything like that. But Jules, I want to know, is this another case of me being oversensitive or should the writer of these lyrics take a good long hard look at himself i I'm, i just want i printed out the the verse and the chorus and i'd like oh, to ask them to okay. you All right. and i want to know whether you think me thinking no i'm not going to play this was i being oversensitive or did i have i have I got right on my side this, I've, bra-
2: I've braced myself already
1: yeah, yeah it's the views new single feels like my old girl has really started bringing me down sleeping with every single guy in town i don't think her father knows just yet turning all our goodness into shame now the chorus and it feels like everyone is laughing at me and the torture is a little more than i can believe second verse Uh, don't worry there's only a little bit more thank you she's a woman A woman with the presence of queens, but pretending that I can't be the man of her dreams is really something I think she should stop. Come on home to me and give it up.
2: I mean, so this was written this year rather than 1972. This is the new single, exactly.
1: 2023, new single (sighs) from The View.
2: I mean, I, always, I, I ne- they never quite. Um, I never quite bought into them. Same Jeans was a reasonable tune you could mm. whistle along with one of their early hits. They've never set the world on fire since. They always struck me as rather derivative, and it seems like they've they've listened to sort of Rod Stewart singles of the early seventies <laughs> <70s> and decided because <laughs> the singer is Scottish horrible? and it's got quite a belty voice. And yeah, it's it's guys, you can sound like Rod Stewart without doing those lyrics. I mean, it's it's just. It's appalling, isn't it? Really, it's just so. It's got nothing new to say, and what it has got no. to say is horrible, isn't it? So, um, so yes, it's a no from me, Clive.
1: Good, no from me also. So I decided not to put that on our playlist for the week for this week, and instead chose the latest single from Emiliana Torini and the Colorist Orchestra.
3: Dim the lights, leave them shining faintly. This time of quiet really makes me sing little hand in mine so warm and sleep defeated, oh no, I'm listening Uh Here's to all the roads that we've been down From flights to falls, embrace them all Long is the road to both they say, is that so?
1: Reader about Eddie Reader possessing a lovely voice. Here's another one with an equally mm, beautiful voice. Very true, style. very true. She may not be an over familiar name, but her albums and singles usually reach the lower edges of the yes, charts.
2: I think she's got a big enough following to keep it going, and she's yeah, very talented, yeah, yeah.
1: as you say. Track from this is a Track from a new album, Racing the Storm, Emiliana Torini and the colorist orchestra, and that was right here. okay And Whilst acknowledging that lists of the 500 best of this mm. and the 50 greatest of that will always be flawed because one person's work of genius is another person's total dud, um, we, yes. we do seem to like the best of launching. <laughs> we patch. just
2: like them. They're just really interesting. <laughs> They're always good fun. They're always Oh, for about. sure.
1: It uh, we, we sort of it helps us sort of remember our own favourites, I think. And this week, the independent newspaper here in the UK has published its list of the 50 greatest TV episodes of all time. And to be fair to the fine indie people in uh, Finsbury Square, yes. this is a list full of gold, including. Yes, very
2: much agreed. It's a good list
1: got a couple here to start us off at number 49 uh an excruciating episode of celebrity big Ooh, brother yes, in twenty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm cringing to remember it yes. when an- angie bowie was told in private that her ex-husband david bowie had died unfortunately while she was in the big brother house and she wandered back in to the sort of public part of the house saying oh you know david's dead david's dead but another Inmate thought she was referring to fellow contestant David Guest. And so this crossing of wires led to screeching, screaming, tears, physical confrontation, and then to cap it all, David Guest did
2: <laughs> on me a few months later. I'm so sorry to laugh, RIP David Guest, but goodness <laughs> me. He's asleep in bed with a cold at this point. There's an excellent um, episode of Julia Rayside's podcast, Box of Delights, by the way, which covers right. this, which is worth listening to because they dissect it in, in full. And it is just <laughs> chaos, isn't it? It's I remember yes. it happening at the time. Um it's reality like a farce. It's it like, a, like a
1: scripted farce. It
2: is. And, 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 and it's your man from EastEnders that seems to calm everybody down. John, what's his name? He's the one that sort of explains what's happening. Tiffany Pollard, whom I did not know, was some reality mm. TV store, she's the one that absolutely kicks off. But um, yeah, like you say, poor old chaotic David Guest stumbles in half sort of unshaven halfway through to try. And then unfortunately <laughs> leaves this mere, mere mortal coil yes, a, few, a few months later. I mean, absolute chaos. A big brother started off great and then really did a nosedive downhill. But it had some very memorable moments and that is probably the best celebrity big brother moment right up there with jack d claiming to have escaped and explaining the conversations that he had with people on the road which turned out were completely made up and he was then thrown out for climbing onto the roof so uh, so that's also a
1: good a good experience The Independent uh, put an episode of Gilmore Girls at number thirty-two, and I continue to say that if anyone you haven't watched, I haven't. uh, I've never seen an episode
2: of Gilmore Girls. Oh,
1: I hardly recommend it. everyone says it's great. It's such a huge investment of time, I know, because you Mm. might think, oh God, it's seven seasons, one hundred and fifty-three episodes, but it brings together the very peak. Of comedy Drama I Writing to, I would love casting. to see it. I would we've got, a, we've got
2: an endless Watch queue But I will add that
1: <laughs> You choose the very Difficult art Of being sentimental Without ever being sickly So big, yeah, big shout absolutely. out To the Gilmore Girls um, Now you've been, you've been Looking at this list And you've got some That you want to Tell us about and one I have or two that Yes That you feel Should be on there and so Yes
2: on. I have I'll, I'll rattle through mine Fairly quickly Because I've got quite okay. a few But some of them Are in the sort of The lower well, end You can
1: split them Because I've still got Four more to oh, talk Oh
2: great about. Okay well I'll tell you About two then So Yes. Yeah. 46 six feet under everybody's waiting which is the season finale and the series finale um six feet under i'm not sure if you remember it It was a, a drama a, a, an h but one of the mm-hmm. first big hbo prestige dramas and i completely fell in love with it as a teenager i had a very off-key sense of humor that was set around a family that ran a funeral directors um and yes. what they what the series opened with the father of the of the of the funeral directors dying and uh, you know the family having to pick themselves up from that um this is probably a spoiler but i don't think it is because this went out in 2005 and it's i think it's well known and discussed um there is an incredible montage at the end um there is a flash forward it is six minutes all you hear is see us breathe with me and or breathe me i think it is a beautiful song and every single person in the main family's death is shown at different stages of their life and it is it is so emotional. I mean, if you've invested in these characters, which is easy to do because it's a brilliant series. There's some fantastic performances in it. Michael C. Hall, that went on to be Dexter, started off in this his first big role. Um, it had um, Rachel Griffiths putting in a very good good performance. Some really great people in this and you feel like you are watching people that you know and love die and it is just, but it's very tastefully done and it's just an incredibly moving piece of TV. It's worth watching the montage on YouTube, even if you haven't seen the series, I think, but I would again recommend you add it to your watch queue if you haven't seen it.
1: Okay. At number
2: 26 also i've these. got another one as well so we're doing two aren't we each? you're doing was... two but you,
1: you left a gap i thought i'm filling yes that gap. i'm
2: so sorry um <laughs> I, well i can give you 45 the next one and this is i seem to specialize Terence, hmm. in series that end either in a sad way or a sort of ambiguous way the yeah. brilliant series catastrophe which was on channel four in 2019 sharon Horgan and rob delaney's sitcom which are one night stand snowballs into parenthood in a dysfunctional marriage it's brilliant but there's this final episode which which is just the ending. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, Sir Terrence. Um, again, really? this is a spoiler. If you do want to watch this, then then forward, you know, fast forward mm-hmm. on, but we find this, um, they flown to America again, like David Guest, they fly to America for the Rob's mother's funeral, who is played by Carrie Fisher just a few months before she oh, then well, died. Lord, yes. And the relationship between, uh, Rob, Sharon Holden and Rob Delaney's characters, because they're in it as well. Um, Dennis Kelly, I think might've written some of it with Sharon Holden too. Um, Just when you expect them to implode, you know, she reveals she's pregnant again and they decide they're going to make a go of it. And they go swimming in an ocean to celebrate. And as it finishes, it pulls back to a sign, a warning of lethal riptides and you see them disappear into the distance. And then it stops. And you have no idea what happened. And it is just such an incredible ending because Mm. I still don't know if they lived or not, Terrence. And I want to know if they lived or not. Mm. And I don't. So an incredible, an incredible piece of writing.
1: Oh, well, at, um, as I say, number 26 in the Independence uh, Greatest TV episodes of all time is the two part finale of Lost. Also which... haven't
2: seen this. You've picked all the <laughs> stuff I haven't seen. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> well, many, uh, m- many people predicted that the outcome that was the outcome, um, many people you know, had. Th- foreseen it and thought well that will be it but the explanation it didn't detract from the weird Mm. dysfunctional and zigzag journey that Lost took across its six seasons from um, 2005 to 2010 and that set me thinking that the first decade of the millennium the 2000s Mm. really were a golden age for American television because we also had from 2000 to 2008 60 episodes of The Wire which yes. must have been a disaster for the Baltimore Tourist Board because it well, portrayed quite. the city. It, was the most bleak it doesn't places look great, does it? Yeah, I'm
0: not
1: sure uh, I'd go. Um, the, no, I don't think I would. The Independent picked uh, an early episode in season one in its best of, but again, The Wire, like Gilmore Girls and Lost, worth exploring in full if you've, if you've never seen it.
2: Absolutely. Well, I, I very much agree. Again, I'll add that to the watch clue as well. Mm, it's um, a long yeah, it is a very it's an endless clue, City. Um I, I, in which case, having depressed everybody, I'm gonna pick one of the greatest comedy moments of all time, in my view. At number forty two, only fools and horses, heroes mm-hmm. and villains, where Del Boy and Rodney end up inadvertently saving a counsellor whilst dressed as Batman and Robin, having oh, yeah. turned up to something that they've been told by fact this fancy dress, probably mischievously by Boise, and it isn't. And as del puts it, they ran in going da and it turns out I think someone's died or something, and it's like in suits and as he puts it we were going and everything why didn't you tell us but it's the, it was heavily trailed I think in the tabloid press at the time which is a shame but I still remember watching it with my parents at Christmas in 1996 In the days were only fours and horses and pull in viewers of like 22, 23 million insane amounts when you think about the fractured streaming world of TV now but I remember watching that and even though you knew what was going to happen if you would read the papers but I'd seen it in my dan- nan's daily mirror them emerging from this sort of fog running along to stop this counselor getting mugged who there is then a newspaper headline later on in the episode where she's been tested she's been breathalyzed because they feel that she's not telling the truth it's <laughs> it's so great it's genuinely it's so much fun there are lots of episodes of Only Fools and Horses you could probably pick like the falling through the bar the chandelier one a touch of glass oh, yeah. I might have been inclined to pick that but simply because what makes his ride John Sullivan's writing so good was that you knew from the very start of this episode that that chandelier was going to end up in a thousand pieces you knew that they could not pull that off that delboy was not capable of doing this it would go wrong but the way in which you get they get you there is so incredible and I, again i won't quite spoil this but the payoff shot where you suddenly fall in what has <laughs> happened is incredible so so that is that is great i'll also um yeah. Uh, pick uh, something more serious there have been lots of these but this is picked as like the first of them really I was thinking funnily enough before I read this article and spoke to you about it I was thinking the other day on a train that you know I watched Three EastEnders a lot when I was younger and then I just stopped mm. watching it and there was um One thing that's meant that I haven't, boy, I will never watch an episode of EastEnders again, and that is the passing of June Brown, because every time I've been forced to watch it in later years, she just acts everyone off the screen. And Mm -hmm. as a result of which, she's done a lot of single handers. This is uh, EastEnders episode 249, 1987. Of course, it only started a year or two previously. Dot and Ethel. Um so Ethel who's played by Gretchen Franklin and Dot spend a rainy afternoon looking after baby Vicky Fowler in 1987. And it's just about them. They're the only people in it. And they just they bicker, mm. they talk about being evacuated during the war. It's just it's so good. And there was a second 13 years later when Dot helps her terminally ill friend Ethel to die. But I just think these two handers, it just showed. You know, that not all soap acting is dreadful, some of it is incredible, and actually, there's a lot to be said for less being more. This was in the days where it wasn't on five nights a week, they weren't continually rushing to shove stuff in the can. There was time and space for this, and it's mm. art, yeah. That's
1: no, a very good point. Um, right up at number seven in the this mm. um independence top 50 is Mad Men. Um, mm. again, I've never on... seen
2: it. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so sorry. I'm very badly American TV programmed.
1: So it's sorry. another triumph from American TV. 92 episodes that ran from 2007 to 2015. Um, the show, though, is set in the years 1960 to 1970. It won 16 mm. Emmys. Um, the yes. episode chosen is season four, episode seven, The Suitcase. But once again, this is a show that is un- it's just unerringly outstanding from start mm. to finish. One of the greatest elements of US drama or cor- comedy series is the care given to the casting, even the more minor roles. Mm. And that combined with great acting, writing, innovative camera work, it it just makes Mad Men one of the greatest of all time. And the last one I want to mention is at number six. And hooray, it's British. Yes, Um, (laughs) and I have
2: seen it. Woo!
1: (laughs) Only 11 episodes, but probably television's greatest literary adaptation is Granada TV's adaptation of... Even in wars, Brighthead revisited. It it makes you ache to be at Oxford University in yes, the nineteen twenties and to be part of the the flapper era and the, the roaring twenties. Just beautiful, the, absolutely. The Independent selects the final episode for its melancholy and retrospection. Mm. Brighthead um, was co-directed by our old pal Jules, Michael Lindsay Hogg. Oh, who
2: yes. You're we last Batman. encountered yes.
1: encouraging the Beatles to sail to Libya yes. in the Get Back movie.
2: I often quote John Lennon's to that, which is I'm warming to doing it in, asyl- in an asylum at this point. I, uh, <laughs> yes. I often quote that and in terms of are we going to meet online? Are we going to meet in person? Let's meet <laughs> in an asylum. Why not? Eh?
1: <laughs> Bryce had revisited one of my favourite TV shows of all time, and I recommend it to the house
2: absolutely did did you
1: say you had a show that isn't on the list
2: yes so i so i'll I'll, before i go for my last my last two i'll rattle through there's a couple of incidents where i think probably they've picked the right series but the wrong episode right and also so i've picked fleabag which is at number 30 they've picked it for a particularly dreadful dinner table scene for me fleabag the key episodes towards the end of the final series. Um, and I don't know if I'm just picking this because of one particular moment, but I did really think it was the most incredible thing just because you didn't see it coming. It's all about Fleabag falling in love. The second series about her falling in love with a priest. And it is, it's, the whole series is oh, beautifully yes, done, it, yeah. but uh, there is a scene, and the whole thing has been done where Phoebe Waller-Bridge, as, as Fleabag, breaks the fourth wall constantly and talks to us in in the audience. And again, spoiler alert but she talks to us in the audience, and she is talking, having this very emotional conversation with with the priest played by Andrew Scott, hot priest as he's known, and uh, and she says she addresses us, and he says, "Who are you talking to?" <sighs> And and all of a sudden and she realizes he's the only person that sees her. And it's such a powerful, powerful moment. I'm not sure I could have resisted picking that. Also, inevitably, there is an episode of *My the Simpsons* in the top ten. They've picked *Kate Fear*, which is genuinely brilliant. It is so good. Um, it is it's a parody of the film *Kate Fear*, where um Homer's family end up having to go into witness protection. There's a lovely moment halfway through where they run the Simpsons credits again, but but instead the the, the thing that comes up in the clouds is the Thompsons, because that is their new name. Um, there's so much <laughs> cool. that is great, but they say quite rightly. I would dart a list of the Simpsons yeah. episodes from 91 to 97 and odds are you'll hit one of the best TV episodes yeah. ever made. I was trying to come up I was talking to somebody the other day who was a fan of the a casual fan of the Simpsons but said alright okay then show me some of the best episodes and I was talking with a dear friend of mine who's a fellow Simpsons nut and we tried to make a top 10 best Simpsons episodes and I think we got to 19 before we gave up wow. I probably would have picked who shot Mr Burns parts 1 and 2 Did I think you have the monorail episodes. in it? Yes, I um, mean yeah. yeah, but it's a thing, you know, the monitor. You just need, you know, you need all of these episodes. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 incredible. So so difficult tasker than there. Um, I can give you my my um my top two from the top ten, if you Ooh, like. Sir. Please. Um number um oh no this was 19 i thought this was mm. 19 Um i was a big fan unusually sir t this is a american tv series that i'm picking um buffy the vampire Slayer was a oh, big yeah. deal for me as a teenage girl as you can imagine i loved it i thought it was so great and it was very good at stunt episodes where uh, where it almost wasn't a stunt and there was this episode that's called hush and um, basically the sort of the, the, the wire that it hangs on is that, it's, it's, uh, if you want to look it up, it's season 4 episode 10 and it's an almost entirely silent episode. A pack ah. of demons still with the voices of everybody in the town of Sunnydale. So Buffy and friends end up navigating the crisis during my, using mime, whiteboards, gesticulation. There is 20 minutes where you just hear an uninterrupted score by Christoph Beck and it is, its it's it's, it's genuinely stunning. I would recommend, even if, again, you might not want to watch all of the seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it is worth picking it out. As is Once More with Feeling, uh, I think from the next series, where um characters cast a spell that goes wrong, and the whole episode is a musical. Everyone sings their dialogue, and the songs from it won awards, I think. It's genuinely superb, so I would recommend that. Number four, Sir Terence Blackadder, goodbye oh, yeah. the series finale the season finale in the series finale um oh, the wow. as Very the character's powerful. The characters have spent all of the first, uh, you know, the series trying to get out of going over the top and their Mm. efforts are often comedic, but become increasingly desperate. And at the end, we see them go. And it's it's unbearable. It's 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 just one of the most powerful pieces of TV ever. And I remember going on a tour of the uh, First World War trenches with um, my school when I was about, oh, 14, 15, I think. And I remember my friend had the audio book and um, we were listening to it throughout because we thought it was appropriate to listen during the trip. And I still remember I tell you what, Sir Terence, the only thing that is more upsetting than watching the piano chords on t v is hearing them on an audio book and not being able to see the pictures knowing what you're not seeing it's It's incredibly powerful.
1: Well, if you'd like to um, judge for yourself about uh, whether you agree with this list, you you can easily Google it. It's the independent newspaper, and it's called the Fifty Greatest TV Episodes of All Time.
2: And I'm going to pop in and say one more thing, Sati, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. I was surprised not to see any episodes of Inside Number Nine on this list. Oh gosh, yes, I I would have realized that was uh, excluded. Yeah, I was was looking down and thinking, oh, I wonder which one they're going to pick. Oh, it must Mm -hmm. be really high. Not there. And I would have struggled. The only reason I could leave it off a list is that I would struggle to pick which one was Mm. best. Probably the 12 Days of Christine starring Sheridan Smith as a woman who we see 12 scenes from her life. And, and, you know, the gradual unfurling of what is really happening is incredibly powerful. I would recommend that. I, I would have put that in my top five, I think.
1: That's one of the most interesting things about these uh, Mm. lists is that it it does provoke that sort of thought that you think, well, why isn't that on it? And why is that up in the top 10? I would have brought number 48 up to number three.
2: There's very few emissions from this list, but that's very good. But
1: you're right. That is a significant one. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along as always.
2: My thanks to you, pals, as ever, and to you, Satie, for being here. And whether
1: in New York, London, (laughs) Munich or Paris, you can still find Julia Harris um, on the radio
2: i have only ever been to one of those cities so maybe that's my homework for the next year yes you can find me on noiseboxradio.com live on Sunday evenings from seven till nine doing smooth sailing um and then on uh, I do a show called lots of words which is instrumentals smooth sailing is yacht rock etc lots of words is instrumentals of all and those no genres that goes out on Thursday evenings at 8 at noiseboxradio.com again or on Tuesday mornings at 11 and all shows are available to listen again on mixcloud. Sorry, excuse me mixcloud.com you can have a look and find Noisebox Radio and their channel,
1: and that's all the previous shows. A band who I've I feel really merit more commercial success than they've received, Jules.
2: To yes, person. I. you know, you're preaching to the converted mm. here, Sir T. They're also Brighton's finest as well, Ooh. so they're semi-local to me. Joe Mount is a pop genius. A friend of mine who's a music promoter came to visit me a few years ago and said he suddenly worked out how to do perfect pop, hasn't he? <laughs> and he just he just has this incredible talent. His, even his early demos are incredible. I nearly picked one of those. I've been listening to them a lot recently. They've got this beautifully smooth sound. I think I've picked the bay previously on this podcast, but um, I hadn't heard this for a very long time. And I think that the lyric is really clever, actually. And it's a little bit more refined than Your Man from the View. Oh, it? right. And it's someone addressing addressing his friends. They seem to share relations with the same woman. And his argument is she's going to break both of our hearts. And I think it's very beautifully done. And the music is so clean you could eat on it, of So this is Metronomy and Heartbreaker.
0: She broke your heart again So now you're gonna come and see me We're back to the start again When's she gonna set me free? I you got your heart.
2: Parish Council production.